0: Welcome to the Semper Reformative podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Revelation chapter five. We're going to look at the first seven verses. People get a bit, a little bit worried about reading Revelation. Revelation is no mystery. The word apocalypsis simply means an unveiling, not a covering up. Chapter 1 is the introduction, introducing Christ in the midst of his church. Chapter 2 and 3 are Christ's messages to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Chapter 4 and 5 are simply glimpses into heaven right into the very throne room of God. And it's not sometime far away out in the future. It's something that's happening in this age right now, in glory. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5, we're going to look at it over three lessons. And as we progress through the three lessons, we will gradually learn something about the relationship between our praise right here in our church in the Lord's Day morning in Ballymacashan in the praise of the heavenly hosts for there is a relationship those heavenly hosts gathered around the throne of God so what we're going to do in this lesson is some introductory work and we're going to learn a little bit about our hopelessness and yet our confidence in our Redeemer Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5, and we look down through the text. We will, as always, try to stay as close to the text as we possibly can. The first thing that we see is that there is a scroll, a book. I don't know, John must have been overwhelmed by the scene that was unfolding before his eyes, He's already described to the best of his human ability the interior of the throne room of God, but he notices another detail. There is a scroll in chapter 5 and verse 1. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, and it's written both inside and on the back of the scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals so there's an unopened scroll it's a book and it's held in the right hand of god and it's sealed up so that it can't be opened when i was a wee boy i lived quite a lot with my grandparents and one of the good things about living with your grandparents is that you can get a really good hook through all their cupboards did you ever notice that and I would find different things, and one of the things I found was this little stick that looked like a crayon, and I tried to write with it. It was a wee square red stick, and I remember my granddad taking it up, and he says, that's not for writing with, and he got a candle, and he lit the candle, and he held the stick under the candle, it was made of wax, this stick, and the, can- and the candle burned the end of it, and it dripped down onto a piece of paper, and it sealed the paper together. He'd folded the paper over. He said to me, that's sealing wax, and that's how we used to seal letters. So I learned very quickly what a seal was. And this scroll has seven of them, and you can't look in it, but thankfully we now know what's in that scroll. It was the scroll of destiny. It was God's plan from eternity past to eternity future. It was God's plan for mankind as history progresses to its planned conclusion. And we know that because of chapter 6 and the chapters that follow. As the scroll is opened the events of history unfold. So here's this unopened scroll. But there's a problem. The scroll can't be opened. Look at verse 2. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? In verse 3, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. No one can open this book. No one anywhere in the entire world can open it. No one is in charge of their own destiny. You'll often hear people nowadays saying and advising younger people, you know, the whole world is your oyster. You can be what you want to be. Your destiny is in your hands. You see, it's not. It's not in your hands. This scroll can't be opened. No one's in control of their destiny. We are not in charge of our lives. Think of that wealthy farmer that Jesus talked about, the man who had built up his barns and stored up much food and had his plans laid to enjoy his life. He had his destiny all planned out except that that very night God said unto him, your soul shall be required of you. And everything that he planned in life was gone. There's nobody can open this scroll. Now that's a problem. In fact, it's more than a problem. It's a serious problem. It's a major problem. Because remember what this scroll contains. This scroll contains God's predetermined plan for mankind. This scroll contains God's plan for the universe If this scroll can't be opened, there'll be a whole sequence of events laid out by John in the chapters that follow that won't be able to happen. Look at what it says next, verse 4. John finds out that the scroll can't be opened. And the Bible record records So I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. John wept. In his commentary and revelation, Kent Hughes lays out the effects of the unopened scroll. And in that we see why John wept. Because if this scroll could not be opened, Jesus would not be worshipped as he ought to be. Because later on in this very chapter, it tells us in verse 9 that they sang a new song saying, you are worthy. That was after the scroll was opened. No wonder John wept. John wept because the martyrs who had died for the faith would never be avenged because in the scroll in chapter 6 and verse 10 it tells us that they cried with a loud voice saying how long O Lord holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. John wept because the martyrs would never be avenged. And he wept because the prayers of the saints would never be answered. For we find in chapter 8 and verse 4 that the smoke of the incense from the prayers of the saints ascended before God. And John wept because if this scroll could not be opened... God's eternal plan would be shattered and the wicked would not be judged for their wickedness. For in that scroll it records in chapter 11, in verse 16 to 18, that the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, And those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Is there any wonder? John wept when he thought of the great wickedness that has been enacted upon the earth. And if this scroll can't be opened, the wicked will go unpunished. the scroll can't be opened, Jesus would not return. If the scroll can't be opened, there'll be no new heaven and no new earth for the believer. John saw the scroll and he realised that no one above the earth or on the earth or under the earth, no natural created person could ever open this scroll. I want you to see this morning the utter hopelessness of mankind in the light of eternity. There's so much that depends on this plan, this scroll being opened and unrolled and God's eternal plan enacted. And yet not one of us can do it. It's personal hopelessness for we're lost. It's cosmic hopelessness, for we're doomed. It's utter helplessness in the face of the relentless march of time. We're living in a world that is out of our control. We are a lost cause. And Paul describes this in Ephesians too, when he points to the Ephesian believers in their unregenerate state. And he says, at that time, you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of, Israel's, of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. It's only wonder that when John realized the true hopelessness of man, But he wept. And he wept much. So I think when we think of our sinfulness, we think of the awful plight that we're in, we think of the Ephesian believers in their unregenerate state, we should weep over our sinfulness. And we should certainly weep over the lostness of our friends and our neighbours who live around us. So John wept. So there's a scroll and it's not opened. And that's a problem. It's a major problem. It's such a serious problem that John literally burst into tears at the thought of the consequences of the unopened scroll. Until in verse 5, there's a lion. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the lion. Of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Just when John thinks everything is utterly hopeless in this world, something else happens. One of the elders steps forward speaking on behalf of the God who holds in his hand the plans of time and eternity, and he speaks directly to John in his moment of distress. I want you to see the importance of this, because this elder is one of those who is gathered around the throne. There's a kind of a hierarchy in heaven. There's a throne of God depicted in the book of Revelation, and round that is the four beasts. Now, Revelation is full of symbolism, so don't be thinking of these four beasts as as four animals in in the in the sense of of, a, of an animal like we would have a dog or a cat or a, or a cow or something. These are the four living creatures that represent the created order. This is God's creation, chapter 4 and verse 6 to 7. There's a lion, there's a calf, an ox, the strongest creature. There's a man, the wisest of all creation. There's an eagle, the swiftest of creation. And these four living creatures representing creation. And then around them are the 24 elders who surround the throne and worship God. And it is one of those elders who comes to John and brings a message that is directly from the throne of God. So see its importance. And see what the elder says. Behold the lion, the lion of Judah, the lion who has overcome The lion who has prevailed to open the scroll. The one who alone is able to take the plan of eternal destiny. The rolled up scroll and break the seals and enact the sovereign will of God. Here's the good news, my friends. In the midst of all of our human hopelessness, there is great hope. And it's not found in you. Don't look within yourself. you you hear the pop singers you've got to search for the hero inside yourself you haven't i've got bad news for you there's no hero inside yourself there's nothing in you that can that can open this scroll and affect your destiny there's only one the lion of judah shall break every chain it's only found in jesus There's no one else who can come to our aid. And the elder points the weeping, sorrowful John to Christ, our Saviour, the one who dries all of our tears. What did we sing in Psalm 30 just a few moments ago? His anger is but for a moment. His favour is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. There's a lion. And the lion is able to take the scroll and then thirdly there's a scroll there's a lion and there's a lamb verse six and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders this centrality stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne a very strange switch isn't there I have to ask the question, why is it switched from a lion to a lamb? Because in verse 5, we're told that the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose seven seals, And then we're told John saw a lamb, and the lamb took the scroll. Why the switch? There's a very great significance in that. And it lies in how the lion is going to take the scroll and bring God's destiny into action. Here's how he did it. He died. He died. How did the lion break the seals? How did the lion enact God's plan? The lion became a lamb for you and for me, and he died. Let's look at the text here, because this mighty king, the king of the the lion, is also the meek lamb who has given his life for us. Let's see where this lamb is. He's right in the midst of the throne. He and the father are one. Jesus prayed for the disciples in John 17 and verse 11, and he says, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Look at what tells us about this lamb. The first thing we see here in verse 6 is a lamb as though it has been slain. It's the lamb slain. Of course, Jesus is not a literal lamb or a literal lion because revelation is symbolic. These are symbols. They're demonstrating his work as king and as saviour. And everyone in Israel, including John, knows that what lambs do is they die. Lambs are born to die. And in Israel, they die for the sin of others. And that's a well-established principle in ancient Israel. Remember the Passover lamb, sacrificed every year, a reminder of how God set the enslaved nation free from Egypt. A lamb had been slain. The blood was sprinkled on the doorposts and the lintels of the people of God and the covenant promise was given in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood I will pass over you. Everybody knew what John the Baptist meant when he saw Jesus coming down to the Jordan and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb has been slain, and in his death the Lion has conquered and defeated death, and sin, and hell, and the devil. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. Tells us that every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I bet, hold on a minute. The lamb was slain. But when John sees in heaven, The lamb isn't sitting, it is standing. So the lamb is slain, and the lamb is standing. Now there's a universal truth that many of you will already know. Dead things don't stand up. Sure they don't. They don't stand up. Generally they lie down. But here's a lamb who was dead and who is alive. He's risen from the dead, and he lives. And in symbolic terms, he has seven horns. Those horns, symbolic of power and victory. So the lamb was slain, and the lamb was standing, and the lamb is seeing, because we're now told that the lamb has seven eyes. Again, the number is symbolic. To could be thinking of a seven-eyed. Lion, unless you're thinking of one that's been genetically modified or something. His vision, like his victory, is perfect. Back in the springtime, I had to get an appointment with, with an optician. I hadn't been for 12 years, so I rang the optician. Of course, what do you say when you ring an optician? Oh, I need a I eye appointment. I need an eye appointment. Do I have to wear a mask? Because if i can wear a mask, I'm not coming. She says, no, you don't have to wear a mask if you don't want to. Great. So away I went to the optician. And she did my eye tests. I've been bragging about it ever since. Because she said to me, you know, in 12 years, your eyes haven't changed one bit. You have the perfect vision, long range, of a 20-year-old. Well... I tell you what, I may think my vision is perfect but my vision could never be as perfect in the sense that Christ's vision is because here it tells us very clearly that he has seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. We know that there is only one Holy Spirit of God but what we know is that That Holy Spirit is perfect. We know that that Holy Spirit sees right into our hearts. We've learned over this past few weeks that it is the Holy Spirit who indwells us and who knows us through and through and who sees right down into the depths of our individual hearts and minds. Here's the proof that Christ dwells in our hearts through the agency of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 there Paul writes this, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. His spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. How does Christ dwell in your hearts? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Who is perfect and who perfectly knows you completely through and through. So we have the Lamb which was slain and which was standing and which was seeing. Let's see what happened next. In verse 7, he came, this Lamb, dead and resurrected. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The Lamb takes the plan, the plan of history, from God the Father. And he does what no one else can do. He takes the reins of history and destiny and he owns them. And he is in charge of history. And he is in charge of destiny. And he is in charge of my personal destiny and yours. And we can trust him. Is it any wonder we worship him? The one who is the Lion of Judah, the one who was the Lamb, who was slain, who died for my sins, who rose again from the dead, who ever lives interceding for me, who knows my very deepest needs, who pleads my cause right in the very midst of the throne of the Father. And so like the people in verse 8, our response is to bow before the Lamb who was slain and who lives forevermore and cry, He is worthy to be praised. Next week, God willing, we shall see that even in our praise here in our local church, as we sing psalms and hymns, Spiritual songs and worship the Lord together, we'll see that that rises into heaven and glorifies God along with the praises of the redeemed multitude.